Welcome to episode 247 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Kyle Terman. He is a designer at Etsy, currently working out of Denver, Colorado. We had a great time catching up with Kyle uh, while he was visiting San Francisco his first time. We had a blast hanging out with him. Went and got pasta. I wasn't there. involved. Wasn't invited. There was some pork. Did there not was get some the, uh, asparagus. It was sick to not eat that with uh, you. A great chat with Kyle. Want to get into it. But first, we need to thank our sponsor for this episode. And first up is Abstract. Abstract gives you a single source of truth, a system of record, a workflow uh, to help designers secure, manage, and build better products together. Uh, it makes it easy to collect feedback from different stakeholders, including non-designers, uh, all through a lightweight workflow that standardizes a design process within your organization. Engineers have had this for ever and it's finally coming to the design world where you can actually work with other people have it be version controlled have a source of truth and iterate upon things in in a collaborative non-conflicting you know this this file doesn't work with this other file because you both edit at the same time that issue is totally avoided traditionally design processes have been very serial like it's very hard to like parallelize and to really like work as a team on separate things at the same time and keep things in sync. Abstract lets you do that. Like Brian said, engineering has had this for forever. GitHub makes that stuff awesome, but Abstract is doing the same thing for your design files. Like you can have many people working in the same sketch file at once and actually sync them together, sync all the changes into one place. Yeah, it simplifies uh, having every person on your team having some version of a design file to having one file, the master source of truth that anybody can work on at any time and, and merge all those changes together over time and everyone can see and rewind the history. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. Of course, it makes it really easy to compare collaborate with stakeholders. Since you can simply share a link to a collection of artboards or, or to a file, you can get people to post and uh, share feedback in the context directly on top of the files. And of course, all this integrates with email and Slack so that it's really built into your workflow of talking about the things that are being designed and built. So taking your salespeople out of Salesforce, taking your developers out of GitHub and marketers out of Marketo and actually into the design files and updating copy and all these things that they actually care about, you can actually get people into your files without having them like like you can actually get engaged with the rest of your team it's a huge upgrade to the way that you design and build products and you can try it for a month for free if you go to goabstract.com you can try it for free there uh give it a shot try it with your team uh, it's going to simplify the way that you think about manage design and build products together we can't recommend the the product and the team enough so go try it for a month for free at yeah. goabstract.com. Yeah, abstract your workflow. M- make an abstraction. I'm going right. to make them a tagline. Let's do this. Uh, it can't just be go abstract. We got to come up with something better. Abstract. Their, tab- their tagline is design with confidence. Abstract your thinking. Abstract your design confidence. Abstract is a platform for modern designers to work together is what is on their website. Abstract has a free month free trial at their website goabstract.com. Abs- abstract. Our second sponsor is <laughs> Swipeys. Live them, love them, learn them. Swipeys are reusable wet erase paper that learn you that can paper. write on, draw on, share on, uh, and they are super rad. They will change the way that you take notes, uh, do mocking up. Instead of on paper and pencil, you're doing You'll swip them, you'll swipe them, you'll clean them off, I guess. <laughs> when they're done, 
So swipeys are reusable paper. And if you've never used a wet erase before, what it basically means is uh, it has the writing experience of dry erase with the benefit of not being able to just be swiped off by putting it in your backpack or accidentally brushing your hand over. It means you can share it with people on your team, retain that information, and then whenever you're done with it, run it under some water and you can start fresh. Swipeys comes in various sizes with a dot grid on the front, blank on the back, which makes it perfect for wireframing, artboarding, uh, taking notes quickly. We use it for all of the above. And of course, being able to share that with your team means that the notes that you're taking are retained longer and, and can provide value for the rest of your team. We love them. We've been using them for forever. Uh, we have literally stacks of them and don't go anywhere without them. You should go get some at swipi.es. That's swipies. And if you use the promo code SPECFM, that's going to get you 10% off the entire store. You could literally you can buy, buy the, entire, the store entire store for 10% for 10% off. of what it costs. What? 10% off is not 10% of what it's cost. 10% of the value of the business. Shit. This is a one-time only deal. Why did I co-found a thing with this idiot? Go to Swipeys. That's S-W-I-P-I dot E-S. Order a ton of them. Get your company to order them. Get your team to order them because they're For only 10% of the cost. It's collaborative paper. Go to Swipeys. S-W-I-P-I dot E-S and use the promo code SPECFM. Thanks, Swipeys. And with that, let's get an episode 247 with Kyle Terman. My name is Kyle Terman. I am a product designer for Etsy. Uh, we sell handmade goods, vintage goods, and craft supplies. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you've ever wanted a sweater for your cat, always, that's the place you would find it. Dogs? Yeah. Okay. Dog, dog sweaters are definitely a thing we do as well. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> <laughs> one of your yeah, one of KPIs our, uh, is dog sweater sales. Definitely. Yeah. It's a, it's a rough market, but you know. Uh, God damn it. I'm sorry. Key, I, <laughs> key performance indicator. I, <laughs> and yes, exactly. the tone of the episode has been set. There we go. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. And uh, I don't think anyone's surprised. <laughs> Nobody. Um, yeah. So I... Uh, a bit about myself. Well, you left off one very important what, attribute what I, of what oh, you do for a living. Uh, uh, what YouTuber? You don't. <laughs> Extraordinary. No. Professional oh, YouTuber, no. vlogger. Oh, no. Best engineer. <laughs> I, I love your breakdown so, of Ruby on the Rails. Yes. So, uh, yes. <laughs> for, provide some context for our listeners, which we only learned about yesterday, but it's well, very funny. This will be out two Next weeks week. so we, we learned about okay. this last week but yesterday as we're talking yes uh so it all began <laughs> as most stories do uh -huh. with two young men on a road trip uh i was working for a wonderful Modern studio lois and clark right? lewis <laughs> yes, and clark really yes lois and clark lois and clark <laughs> lois sorry and clark. i got my superheroes involved <laughs> yeah it happens to the best of us um we uh a buddy paul of mine uh, a buddy of mine, Paul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Paul of mine. Yeah, Paul of mine. Paul of mine. Um, that'd be a great song you name. Pull your microphone. Uh, it sort of sounds like you can pull it to you. Okay, there he's we go. from a town called Mine. Yes. Uh, so uh, we were on a road trip uh, from Houston to Denver, uh, and I was working for a studio at the time called Foundry Collective. Uh, really awesome guys, uh, Scott Hill and Paul Wilkes, and. Um, we were visiting Scott, who lived in Denver at the time, and uh, as most road trips kind of uh, begat, 
there's a lot of boredom uh, mm -hmm. that comes about. Especially and if you're driving to Colorado. I yes. imagine you were going to Kansas or something. <laughs> there's a lot of flat stuff there. A lot of flat stuff. And then suddenly um, it's very not flat. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's, it's, the, it's the damnedest thing, really. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I don't know how it began, uh, but it, I, I think I was actually working for real uh, on a website or something. And, and I was like, you know what? Let's uh, let's do a tutorial. Let's uh, <laughs> let's share with uh, the people. You know how 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 I code, and uh, it's just the the pure insanity of being on the road from Houston, Texas to Denver, um, which we spanned over a couple of days, so it wasn't mm -hmm. that insane. Kind of ended up in this place uh, where I was like, I'm going to try to do this in one minute or less. And that was kind of the challenge, and thus began road programming. Road programming. We of described which you made, HTML. Yeah, you made yes. it in the first one. HTML, then Rails, then React. Yes, yes. React is the latest. I don't know if you've heard of the React. The, Re uh, the React. My apologies. There were some uh, slow mo scenes of you typing that I would describe as skipping with your hands. It was um, awesome. Many people have described my coding technique as skipping with the hands, and okay. uh, I believe there's actually been a few uh, user research sessions solely focused on my typing. So, wow. yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's really how something. has uh, road programming sort of impacted your career trajectory, uh, notoriety, mm. salary, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff? Uh, I mean, the first one that came out, I instantly got a three hundred thousand dollar bonus. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'd say it's really uh, changed <laughs> pretty, my pretty life. Big deal. Well, yeah. You were a tastemaker at that point. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And a maker of taste <laughs> knows no bounds. That's right. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> actually the first time we released it, um, it had like 20 views or something, mm -hmm. you know, like I didn't even really tweet about it or talk about it to anyone. It just kind of existed. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad Diana found it. Yes. And so that's how, uh, you guys find out, found out about it is, uh, Diana Mounter, our, uh, mutual friend, our uh, esteemed colleague, our esteemed Broccolini. colleague, yes, Broccolini, <laughs> Our, uh, oh shit! Our steamed colleague. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, <laughs> yes. Uh, she. I don't. I don't know if I uh, had shared it begrudgingly or if she found it herself. I don't remember how it happened, but she latched on to road programming uh, like like a fly latches on to a, a really hot piece of pizza. You know, like yeah, just something yeah. that they just can't. Can't let go. can't uh, yeah. let go of yeah. So she she's been a huge fan, maybe the only fan really of yeah. uh, of road programming. Brand advocacy is what we call that. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, she's a real brand loyalist. Yes, uh, to the road programming <laughs> core brand. Yes. Uh, on a slightly serious note, do you still? Do YouTube stuff and like want to make videos or do comedy <laughs> no. or no no. Do you aspire to be a YouTuber? Uh, I mean, I think there's a part of everyone that wants to be a YouTuber deep down inside. You not know, me. you can you can say that that's not true, but it's not if you true. search your heart of hearts, it's you can go true. offend my, people in Japan for millions of dollars my, a year. That's my true. degree of discomfort in front of a camera is uh, immeasurable. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why uh, that's why we don't have a camera that's here right now. That's why we don't have a yeah. camera. Uh -huh. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> we actually <laughs> used really to. Well. Yeah, we used to do live ones. We used to live stream them mm -hmm. as we were recording them, which was uncomfy. Yeah, yeah, not great. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, uh, it's there is something weird about like podcasts specifically. Whenever you get really into a podcast, and then you see the guy's voice or the woman's voice or whoever's voice it is for the first time, mm -hmm. and you're like, "That's like nothing when you, when like you I, see them speak." Yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was like a Roman Mars on uh, 99% Invisible. The first time I saw a picture of him, I was like, 
No. I actually, no way. <laughs> he actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because I haven't seen a picture of him yet. I don't oh, know what he looks like. Don't do it. He just looks don't like ruin the planet it. Mars. I, I don't <laughs> think I will ever look him up or try and see him yeah. live or anything. He lives in San Francisco, I think. Because I have this yeah. mental model of Roman Mars. Yeah, exactly. There's an interesting thing here. I don't know what it's called, but it's it's a psychological phenomenon that happens when people listen to other people's voices for mm, a long time. Yeah. Um, uh, same thing happens with TV shows too, mm. um, where watchers or listeners start to feel connected to the people. Yeah. Yes, and it's totally irrational because it's just this one like way. Like me and my best friend Griffin McElroy. Exactly. <laughs> or like you know, The Office. You feel yeah. connected to these characters, Definitely. but obviously, if you ever met the people, they'd be like, "Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> Right, but exactly. But you, you feel yeah. like you're friends with them. Yeah. And the worst part is that happens with Twitter, and you're like, "Oh shit, I've never met you before. Sorry." Yeah, like mm-hmm. I gotta cool my mm-hmm. jets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, my wife and I met on Twitter, really? uh, so that uh, that that was for real. Yeah. How'd she, that happen? Well, uh, tweet a sit, sick joke. There was uh, a lot of PBRs involved, uh, and I tweeted that the moon was being abducted by aliens because there was a lunar eclipse, uh, she uh, retweeted that. And uh, mm. the PBRs gave me enough courage to send her a direct message, a new feature at the time had just come out. You slid it directly into her DMs I, after one retweet. I think <laughs> the, the appropriate really said it all. Uh, yeah, the appropriate uh, phrase would be, yes, I, I slid into her DMs. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, I would say that I was a pioneer of uh, sliding <laughs> into the DMs. Yeah, this was early DMs. Early sliding days, yeah. yes. Um, and uh, yeah, I asked her out and uh, she asked me if I was a creepy old guy. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm not old. Um, <laughs> so that was enough to uh, swear. And here we are. Yeah, we've been That's married good. for five years now. Yeah. So that, modern romance. It. Modern romance. Yes. Yeah. Shit. You should write a book. I, yeah. Call it modern romance. Call, call it modern romance. <laughs> that seems like a really good idea. Some, yeah. <laughs> Somebody should do it. I don't know why it. anyone no has the name. Yeah. A book named that. Huh. Yeah, about yeah. online dating. Yeah. Hmm. 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 Good thoughts. <laughs> well, until it's you terminal. become a, a famous... There it is. <laughs> what? Oh, <no>. It's Terminal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've heard that one. That's a, that's a pretty good one. Termin. Uh, A-L. Slow burn. Wait for it. There it is. Brian <laughs> should be used to these by now. I still don't get it. <laughs> His last, last name is Termin. God damn it. <laughs> yes. I was like, what is a Termin? <laughs> you know, that's a question I ask every, every day. Every day. Look in the mirror. Okay, yeah. What is a Termin? Who am I? Uh, so until you become a famous YouTube star, you're just slinging pixels. I'm stuck at Etsy. Uh, yeah. Uh, what a life. <laughs> kind of a bummer. Yeah. One I'm of these now days. very nervous that you said that. <laughs> Etsy's chill. <laughs> Etsy's, Etsy's great. Etsy's very chill. Not a prison. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> thanks no, for our first it. ever live show. I love you, Randy. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love Randy as well. Uh, yeah, I've actually, I've nearly been at Etsy. I, I'm not good at- <laughs> Do you uh, find I've nearly it? been at Etsy for nearly <laughs> yes. four Do you of find it funny that he went from Etsy to Artsy? Um, actually, I think it was just a uh, accounting error. Yeah, I think yeah. that his accountant just misspelled it. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, this is my job Shit. now. So <laughs> he says, where I go. <laughs> After <laughs> Legends of the Hidden Temple was all downhill. So <laughs> Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, no, Randy is uh, exceptionally talented. I love I loved working with him. And I'm sure he's bringing a lot of really great, st- re- great things to uh, Artsy as well. So, um, yeah, he... Uh, He's he's one of a kind for sure. Indeed, I, I definitely miss miss having him around the office. 
Uh, I miss being around the office myself, actually. Yeah. So. so what's the deal? How long have you been at Etsy and what are you up to now? Yeah, so uh, I've nearly... <laughs> You're going to get this. I'm going to do it. Nearly? going to get it. I've nearly been at Etsy for four years. Is that right? That's almost as long as you've been I married, think, my dude. I know. That's wow. so many vests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have four. Four vests. Uh, one for every year. Um, that was a really bad joke. I, re- I regret saying that. Um, we can't edit it yeah. out. Unfortunately, every <laughs> we don't have the technology. <laughs> Sorry. Every, every bad joke stays. Yeah. Sorry. If anyone's looking for a new idea, new startup, uh, machine learning that edits out bad jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. This podcast may not exist. I'm just, oh, oh. that's uh, a pretty good joke. Jess burn is, is a good yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, it has to happen, I guess. That's out of my system. We're good. Um, Oh, it was pent up in your system that you had to offend us. Yes. Got yes. it. Uh, it's like, it's, hey, Kyle, want to come on our show? <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> I've been having a lot of pent up stress about Finally. this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, glad we got that out there. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I've moved from uh, New York City. Uh, mm-hmm. to Denver, Colorado, uh, about, to Denver, um, Co- Wait, oh shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to Denver, Colorado. <laughs> uh, yeah, I moved there, uh, September of 2017 and, uh, that hasn't my, been that long. It hasn't. No, no. Um, it's been about, I guess like eight months or seven months. Um, so it's, it's still new. We're still like getting used to the fact that trash doesn't exist on the sidewalks and, um, mm-hmm. That we have a car, which is really weird. Uh, I What's hate driving it? it. A car? No, Denver. Oh, <laughs> um, I don't know if it's necessarily There's that something is about bad Denver. about it. Um, it's just different. It's a different place, uh, different people. Um, there's sometimes there's uh, restaurants that'll come to Denver. And they'll pretty much copy like New York, LA, or San Francisco type mm-hmm, restaurants. Mm-hmm. And they'll just. Those are good restaurants to copy. They're great restaurants to copy, but then they'll copy them like just enough, you know, where it's like, I think we can get away with this much yeah, of yeah. Momofuku. So we're just only going to do this much instead of like actually fully committing to it. But if they just copy the pork buns, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, those those pork and buns are And that's an hour and delicious. a half away instead of like four hours away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Why'd you move? Uh, we were looking for a little bit slower pace of life, of course. I think that's why a lot of people leave New York, uh, but mainly to be closer to our family. Uh, both of our families are from Oklahoma City or Oklahoma City area. And uh, that's in Oklahoma, if you if you didn't know that. I would. There's also Kansas City, Oklahoma. Is that right? Uh, I'm not aware of that. I feel one, like no. there's a Kansas City in every state around Kansas. <laughs> that that would make sense. Yeah, I'm pretty. It's sure. a little bit surprised. of Oklahoma <laughs> in our state for some reason. <laughs> there is a there in in Texas, I think, and in Arkansas, there's a town called Texarkana. Yeah, which is Indeed. one of my favorite yeah. names of a town. Yeah, it's a good one. Not my favorite town, but one of my favorite <laughs> names of a town. Yes. Um, so we wanted to be a little closer to family and, um, I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot of places, a lot of really good places close to Oklahoma, but yeah, Denver was uh, the closest place that didn't suck. So, uh, that's why we ended up there, <laughs> uh, that, and we really love the mountains. Uh, we really love being outside and, uh, they, they, they called to us the mountains. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, the mountains, uh, they have the siren song Yes, and I answered. It's really beautiful from it is. Denver looking west. It's, and you would know nothing amazing. about 
that right? I don't know anything. Yeah. I've never been to Denver. From Denver yeah. looking west? Why from Denver looking west? What's bad about the east side? The east side, there's nothing. Literally nothing. It's there's What's, what's west? The more more the Rockies? The mountains, brew. <laughs> Denver's on the plains. So if it you is. look west, you see the well, mountains in all their majesty. The Mile High Plains? Yes. Yes. The Mile High Plains. Denver is at 5280. It's, it's actually pretty crazy. Denver is a technically a desert climate to some degree and it's on the plains and you're really high up uh and so like the well planes generally are in the sky god damn it. oh my god stop oh my god yeah <laughs> <laughs> i walked right into that one so you know what that's fine i'll take it continue please <laughs> uh so it's it definitely took a second for me to get adjusted to uh, the air being a little thinner. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. first time you go there, if you've ever been to Denver, you have like one, two drinks and you are feeling fantastic. Yep. Yeah. I do recall that part. <laughs> <laughs> I went. Yes. Brian's like, let's go get pizza. And then suddenly I was drunk and there was honey somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds about uh, most nights. Yeah. Colorado style pizza is a weird experience. Mm. It's mm. fine. It's fine. Everybody. Not all pizza in Colorado has honey though. Thank God. Yeah. Squares, rectangles kind of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> potato, potato. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> tomato, tomato, sauce. Peace. All so, those things uh, are great on pizza. Potato pizza is excellent. I don't know if I've ever had that. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Anyways, let's I mean, to- I believe that. Yeah. yeah. That sounds reasonable. How is, uh, I guess maybe I knew it, but I don't. Uh, you Working remotely for Etsy. What's that yeah. story and- I didn't realize you could even do that, especially from Denver. Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, it kind of came about in a conversation and um, the opportunity presented itself. And we thought we have a couple of remote employees and a remote designer specifically. Uh, there's Matthew Williams, who's in Salt Lake, uh, and he's fantastic uh, as well. He, he, he's been remote for, I think, a little over a year and a half, two years. Um, so... He was, he was kind of a trailblazer in that regard. And then before that, uh, Marco Suarez, uh, who is also fantastic, um, was in Greenville, South Carolina. So we've had remote designers in the mm. past and there was like a semi protocol for it. Uh, but, you know, like any company that has mostly a office workforce and some remote employees, it's, it's always challenging. Uh, it's been definitely a learning experience for sure. What are the the main things that you've learned or picked up as as ways to cope with the change or get back to the same level of, I don't know, productivity or flow or whatever it might be? Yeah, I think the most important thing is definitely wear pants, even if you don't have to. Mm-hmm. It just makes you feel like a human being, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. That's a good starting point. Uh, so start there. Although it does feel kind of fun <laughs> taking calls without <laughs> pants. That is true. It's yeah. like your little secret. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and unless, you know, something falls on your lap and you have to stand up very quickly and then, you know, your cover's blown. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, that would, that would be, that's my nightmare. Yeah, so, you got to be careful yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing is just understanding how to communicate and kind of understanding all of the qualities of communication that you have to address to be really successful at your job remotely. And that's the kind of fascinating thing, like, I think as designers, we always take everything that happens in our lives and deconstruct them to an unhealthy level. Uh, But I think for communication, this is really an interesting thing to understand to say, what is really 
a successful version of communicating with my team, with uh, stakeholders, with other people, and trying to understand what aspects of those things I needed to work on and develop as a person. Uh, so that's been a really interesting challenge what for me. What were the sure. things? <laughs> Is it like written or just scheduling more calls? It's it's more of like um, if you if you think about design as like a visual medium it's really hard sometimes to put into words. Um, and mm. then things like user experiences are also really hard to put into words. And so you have to kind of train your brain to be able to take something that is metaphysical in your brain and really nebulous and translate that to text in a very clear way. Because if someone doesn't understand what you're saying, um, they're going to come up with their own assumptions about what it is that you think that you're t telling them. So I think that that's the biggest challenge and the biggest thing that I've learned is trying to be really specific, but also really uh, direct to the point and uh, try to explain things, like even over-explain things, uh, which you have to have a careful balance of. It's, uh, I mean, it's, most of the remote working seems to be about over-communication. Totally. Like, prioritize communication at any cost. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that part of that is hard to do because it takes a little bit more time in certain aspects and, and not even just like out of your day, but just like if I had a thought and I told you my thought, it would take the time it takes to tell you my thought. But the difference between me taking a thought and translating that into words, you know, that probably doubles the amount of time or triples the amount of time it takes for that idea Easily, to yeah. be understood by another human being. Yep. So understanding into that, text. what's that? Into text. Into text, right. yes. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that understanding of being patient with myself even and being like, okay, slow down. Let me actually try to translate what I want to say into words that are understandable by another human being. And there are some times where you're like, you know what, fuck it, I just need to hop on a video call and we need to discuss this. Um, so that's that's the other thing too is I feel like design is a very collaborative uh, industry in general and a very collaborative thing to be. Uh, it's important to be cl collaborative because more ideas get shared and you get a better diversity of ideas. But that is really really hard to do remotely, as most people know. And even if you're on video call, like sometimes I'll I'll be like, you know, I'll point at something and I'll make hand motions and people are like. What the, what the hell is he doing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Screen sharing, my dude. Yes, but screen sharing has its limitations as well. So um, True. There's there's definitely a lot of technology, uh, but there's also uh, like ways that that technology can... People maybe think like, oh, yeah, I can screen share and they'll understand everything about this idea that I'm communicating, when in reality, they may not. And so... Wouldn't it be nice if people could just understand from a mock-up like, exactly <laughs> what you intended? That would be amazing. Yes. Hive mind. Yeah. Hive mind. Yeah. Someone's that's, working on that. That's really the next level of humanity, right? Hive mind? Probably. Uh, could be. The Borg? I'm into it. Yeah. That's our future, really. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, yeah, I think that's been a big uh, learning adjustment for me is learning how to communicate effectively uh, into text and being patient and trying to really actually be proactive about seeking out other people's opinions. Um, and so that's the thing, like when you're walking in the hallway or something, you'd have a conversation and say like, hey, that thing we talked about yesterday, like, what did you think about it? And you get a bunch of different opinions that way, but with Slack or video or whatever you're on, you have to really like reach out to people and be very direct and say, what do you think about this? And um, I think that's been 
challenging, but also something that I want to take into, you know, in real life communication as mm -hmm. well. I think a lot of times people don't allow other people to speak or aren't patient enough to really understand what someone's trying to say. A lot of times people are just waiting for their chance to speak in meetings. Uh, so whenever, you know, you're in that remote barrier, you kind of have to train yourself to really listen to people and make sure that, that you understand what they're saying and then wait for your turn. Uh, cause you can't just like hop in all the time. The timing gets very uncomfortable. Yeah, it does. Yes. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, I think that that's been one of, uh, the lessons I've learned most that I think has been really valuable. And like I said, uh, beyond even remote, even into, uh, in real life communication. IRLs. How do we say that? IRL. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, what do you work on at Etsy? We haven't even talked about that. Yeah, so Etsy is split up into two groups. Uh, there's the buyer and seller facing organizations. And part of the reason that we split those up is because the user base is different, the KPIs are different, the way that the user experience is constructed is different. Uh, the seller tools are kind of created to be efficient uses of seller's time so that they can post a listing, fulfill an order, whatever they need to do really quickly. Whereas on um, the buyer side, uh, really conversion, obviously, as most marketplaces are, is one of the key KPIs. So you're not really like converting uh, on the seller side as much. And then the way that uh, we do user testing, you can't really user test a, a seller tool. Uh, like if you have to user test um, something, it just takes a little bit more time. Whereas you can easily do an A-B test on the buyer side and get results much faster. So we split those uh, into different organizations. And uh, on those organizations, we have design systems leads. And I'm a design systems lead for the seller organization. And Dennis Kramer is the uh, buyer side design lead, uh, design systems lead. So that's that what is I do. a very well-practiced explanation of what you do at Etsy <laughs> that I can only imagine you've had to say this like a thousand times. <laughs> 1,001, yeah. <laughs> you go to a yeah. bar, so what do you do? Yeah. Well, have you heard of Etsy? <laughs> Roll up my sleeves. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. Yeah. <laughs> About Celeste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a confusing uh, thing. Like a lot of people don't know what Etsy is and a lot of people don't know how Etsy operates. Um, a lot of people, we actually even sometimes have people show up at our office looking for craft supplies. Where's, or, the, where's the sale? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, that's something people don't really understand all the way. The uh, first time I went to New York City, I had someone point and say, there's Etsy, and I thought we could go into it. And that was incorrect. Bryn was one of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that which, was like eight years ago or something. But Which, you know, I think is a, uh, a failure on our part to really tell honestly, the, yeah. yeah, to really tell the brand story uh, about like, what it is that Etsy does, and it's powered by amazing sellers. There's nearly, I think, 2 million sellers on Etsy, close to that. I mean, I knew I was going to get crazy. reclaimed something. I just wasn't sure what it was yet. <laughs> we should uh, have like a, a featured seller every day that gets the lobby or something. We've talked about the, it for that sure. That lobby is no, a very dude, nice space. This is a totally unique and original idea that I'm sure <laughs> nobody at Etsy has ever considered. That's very true. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've talked to someone in our industry and I think I have this brilliant idea and they're like, dude, yeah, we thought of that eight years ago. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> that was one of the frustrating things when I went to Facebook mm. is you go in thinking like, I have ideas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go back through and it's like, oh, they mocked this up and tested it uh -huh. fucking 
10 years ago. Oh, yeah. I know nothing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that, that uh, happens internally, too. Yeah. Like, people will join Etsy and they'll be like, what if we did Etsy Prime? <laughs> and it's like, hmm. Hmm, what if? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Never thought of that one before. <laughs> So when's Etsy Prime coming? Uh, I can either confirm or deny. Uh, <laughs> uh, so talk to me about the seller side. I think that kind of business-facing utility stuff is interesting because mm. you do have a different process of totally. building, testing, researching. It yeah. also seems pretty separated from like what works well in consumer side design systems, right? Like the, the tools have to be different. Sometimes, yes. Uh, and that's that's an interesting conundrum because we have different tools, but we have one brand. And that's something that we really try to convey. And actually, like most Etsy sellers are buyers as well. Uh, so they're using both sides of the marketplace pretty frequently. Is Etsy short for et cetera? Uh, Etsy actually came from the Greek word etzerama, which was, it, no, I'm just totally fucking this up. I, uh, there's, there's no explanation for okay. what Etsy is. Yeah. I was like, wow, this yeah. is a history lesson here. Yeah. Uh, actually, the joke was uh, the original founders of Etsy, uh, which I just carried on just now, uh, would come up with different uh, right, yeah. backgrounds every All time right, someone would ask them. Yeah. That's cool. So, cool work, Chad. <laughs> Chad was not one of the founders. So, but I, I shows what Chad. I know. Or you know. <laughs> Not much. The more you know. Mm-hmm. There you go. Isn't that, Sorry isn't that how it goes? You. No, that's fine. That's totally reasonable. I, I'll never forgive you, but it's okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what was I talking about? Two two things, one brand. Sellers are also buyers. Bingo. That's it. I got yes. you. Uh, so because Etsy's one brand, uh, we have to figure out like how to represent ourselves visually in a you know single format but then be flexible enough that it can be used in, say, like a tight user interface that has a lot of controls and a lot of text. And then like maybe a marketing page that has less text and is a little bit more flowy and has a little bit more white space. Um, So understanding how to use those things and giving those things the uh, proper flexibility that they need is definitely something we've uh, really focused on at Etsy and our design system to be able to make sure that, like you're saying, can work across both buyer and seller. So how does it work then that you have a, a buyer side design systems lead and a seller side design systems lead? Like why not just have one design systems team with one lead and the constraint being we've got to make it work in these different contexts? Totally. Yeah. So it kind of like you were talking about, the different contexts exist. Uh, so this kind of gives us the ability to really focus in on both the buyer and seller contexts. But Dennis and I work together to kind of build that system and uh, that's kind of continuated uh, from the work that like Diana Mounter did. And, um, and we have amazing mm-hmm. designers uh, like Jessica Harley, previous designers like uh, Aaron Shapiro, who kind of constructed this base uh, design system that we've been building off of for years. Uh, I don't know Shapiro was on that. That's interesting. Yeah, he was. Um, there's, there, I remember... I can't remember what year it was. Maybe it was 2014. We converted from CSS to SAS. 2014. Mm-hmm. Pretty late in the game. Uh, and there's this amazing poster that was photoshopped of Jessica Harley and Aaron Shapiro. And it said Sasablanca uh, instead of Casablanca. And uh, it, it's one he of the most amazing you, things. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think he said that at one point. Yeah, if I remember correctly, that's definitely something Aaron Shapiro would say. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> 
So you collaborate, obviously. Yes. Can you? What are the differences that that come out of that, and and how do you figure out like, oh, this is a dif- difference that we're comfortable with, and we should definitely diverge at this point, versus spending more time trying to figure out if this can be one thing that's shared. Totally. And you know, I think that that's like a habit that designers have a lot of times is they want to make one thing work for everything, mm-hmm. and they want that thing to be perfect and it always to be used in a certain way. And the reality is, is the world is Wouldn't messy. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Here we go. Just one box. Here we go. One square with the perfect border. Yeah. yeah. Pixel perfection. Uh, yeah, that's that's something that I've definitely come to realize the more I've worked on design systems is design systems, I kind of feel like should be more like a tree where you have these you know, winds that blow and it bends instead of breaks uh, and trying to figure out how the design system can bend and still flex and remain like a single brand is I think the biggest challenge uh, that we face at Etsy on the design system side for sure. Uh, And so part of that comes from uh, like being able to collaborate with people and understand different use cases and then trying to build something that can work in multiple different ways without being too prescriptive. Uh, so that's something that we try to have with the seller side and the buyer side to give guidance for that. Uh, and so really like at the end of the day, the context bit that Dennis does on the buyer side and that I do on the seller side is kind of more guidance on how to use the system. Uh, do you, I was going to say, do you have to you do a lot of education on that? Like are there principles that people just don't know that you have to teach them in like how to use things appropriately? Definitely. Yeah. And, and we have documentation and we're actually like, you know, continually working on documentation. I'm working on a new improved version of the design guide. Nice. I feel like that's, that's always how Is it, it going to be public. Maybe. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll leave that Let's see. to mystery because I don't want to commit to anything. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the design guide has a lot of really good documentation in it now. And People well, you don't can always say it's read really it. Good, but none of us can see it and verify that. So that's true. Yeah, actually, it's the best it. design system <laughs> it's documentation the best design system ever. You guys would not believe. <laughs> believe. <me. laughs> so something that I find, uh, I was talking about to Diane about this yesterday. Um, a lot of people don't really care about like color interaction, and I mm. think that's really interesting. Like, there's a at some level, you like start to learn that it's like an objective thing, and that they appear in different ways together. Uh, Interaction of Color by Joseph Albers yeah. is like a really great book on that. Fantastic book. Um, is that something you have to like teach people? Is like, don't just like throw some white over this and like de- like reduce the opacity because it'll desaturate it and like sure. do that kind of thing. Or do you have to like provide the exact colors? Do do you let them flex it that way? Mm-hmm. How do you think about that? Are stuff? you subtweeting me right now? No, <laughs> I'm I'm just avoiding eye contact. Some some people. <laughs> Well, uh, who may okay. or may not be in this room, don't give a shit about okay. color principles. Here, here is a quote from Brian last night. I Hit don't me. think I'll ever care about colors or icons. So in that context, yeah, that's, I thought uh, about this last night. Yeah. I thought about this because I said I said that to Bryn and Diana, and Diana looked at me like I <laughs> violated some godly principle of yeah. design. Color. Thank yeah. you. It here, is, it's one of the core principles of design. Here's yeah. the way I think about that statement. So let me refactor. Yes. Refactor is a good word. Mm. First of all, I should never have said never. Yes. Because generally just bad I, way I, of yeah. positing a, a stance on a thing. Better of you. Yeah. You should really never say never. If I've learned anything from our dear colleague, Justin Bieber. 
Yes, I so knew you were going to never go say never again. Never mm. say never again. Uh, is it too late to tell you I'm sorry for saying oh. that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something, something, despacito. All right. Two for three. It's here's, fine. Here's, here's my mindset, okay? Okay. If I'm working at a GitHub or mm-hmm. uh Facebook or an Instagram and on and on and on. Sure. The the business is in such a state that it can afford to care about those things. And from my perspective, Spectrum is, if we were to like map out where we are in the Maslow's mm-hmm. hierarchy of needs, we are at the All like of them. food and water and shelter sort of level, right? Where people, I, people require it to live? No, I... I we're figuring out what our food, water, and shelter is for the business mm, to mm-hmm. survive. Sure. And so for me, I, iconography, uh, perfect color theory, that kind of stuff just doesn't fit into here's what's going to make the business survive. Mm-hmm. Like I would rather have, I'd rather have Spectrum exist than be perfect. Is I think what, where I'm yeah, trying I agree to go with, with all this. I, I just don't think it's that hard if you care about it. The, yeah, but there's there's there is a bound there, right? There's a bound of how much time you put into it because it's not hard if you know it. It takes a little more time to get things just right, but there's a bound of how much extra time do we want to put into these kinds of systems before mm. we're either digging ourselves into like a corner where it's harder to change as the business is like moving way mm-hmm. more rapidly in one direction or the other, uh, or we kill so much time that we never find food. Yeah, and, and I, I do die. understand where your viewpoint comes from, to be so, clear. But I do think a lot about like how you educate people on how that should work. Like I think yeah. there's an objective, like there's a range, mm. color yeah. especially, like there's a variety of perceptions. I, I, I don't want to appear ignorant because I understand that like if people can't read the text on our screens, that's a huge problem. Like mm-hmm. I'm super sure. down with that kind of stuff. Um, but, but also- you know, I get, I, I, I lose my patience when it comes to like, this gray looks um, yellow next to this gray. Pixel fitting. It's great that people appreciate that, and I appreciate that you appreciate that. I just think it's hard for me to appreciate it at this stage of this in this context of what we're building. You know. So, so I think that that's actually a really interesting thing that we're dealing with right now as designers is kind of understanding the mix between the practice of design mm-hmm. and the value that design adds to a business, or yeah. understanding what our purposes beyond say color and pixels and all these things that we get really, really sucked into. And I think uh, that, you know, it's really easy for us to get super hyper focused on those things and obsess over them because we enjoy those things. And it's great that we enjoy those things. Uh, But if it's not serving a purpose that actually benefits whatever problem you're trying to solve, whether it be a customer problem or a business problem, then it's not really doing its job as design. And I think that that gets us like, I feel like all designers are a little bit artists, you know, I mean, like Joseph Albers is, uh, you know, definitely design artist, like all mm-hmm. of the above. There's yeah. a lot of people like that. And we tend to sway design more into the art field. And I remember having this conversation, you know, eight, 10 years ago, like, what's the difference between design and mm-hmm. art? Mm-hmm. And nobody could really answer the question. But to Ooh. me, I feel like design is always solving a problem we to have some degree. Cadence of memes in design. Yeah. Is design art? 
Uh, like, what's the difference between design and art? Yeah. Uh, should designers code? Oh, boy. What's the difference between a design system and a style guide? Things like that. <laughs> there is, yeah. There's a good cadence of, of memes. And I appreciate that. Yeah, everyone loves a good meme. Uh, I think that designers I've interacted with have also gotten very good at justifying why the extra time put into the craft is important. Are you subtweeting me back now? <laughs> and No, this... I. I so an example here would be the culture of tweets where it's like, hey, at Twitter, did you notice that this one icon is misaligned by a pixel? Mm-hmm. And those kinds of tweets drive me up the wall. Oh, yeah. As long as it's a whole pixel, we're good. Nobody gives a fuck. Like yeah. nobody at Twitter yeah. cares, right? right. And got, most users don't care. More important problems. And so, right. but the the we've gotten really good at justifying like the craft will set us apart from a user experience point of view. It adds delight into the the product experience. Um, that, that's it more of a macro problem. I agree. Consistency with that. and coherence to to the the product that we built if it looks and feels good. And I get that. But it's a really, really easy justification to fall back totally. on every time, even if it's just a bullshit reason to like futz around with mm-hmm. with things. That's my opinion. And, yeah. And sometimes that like conversation goes into like super, super deep conversation of like, well, shouldn't things be beautiful? Right. Shouldn't a bridge make me feel great? Um, yeah. It's like, yeah, sure, definitely. But if the bridge is collapsing, uh, it doesn't matter how it looks, you know? Um, like it, it should serve its purpose first and then try to figure out like how beauty comes from that. And I think that there's a lot of things that are beautiful because they're solving that purpose. Like I think about... Um, planes, for instance, uh, like, like the one Denver's on (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Uh, like, like the ones that you fly in, uh, the way that the wings are constructed of a plane is an engineering marvel Mm -hmm. and something that they're flexible and terrifying, flexible and terrifying, much like myself, (laughs) um, that it's built that way to solve a purpose yeah. uh, and sometimes like i'll see these really cool turbines on planes that have like these notches in them um and then i like google why do these turbines have these notches in them and it's because like oh it provides better airflow or some sort of engineering benefit mm-hmm. but it kind of looks cool uh so i think there's like this weird thing where actually like beauty can come from the purpose that it's solving and i think designers flip the equation too often to say design is first and this is what's important. The aesthetics of well, the design. I mean, I think exactly. you can extend that. Like the uh, the brand experience of Virgin, like not sure. only was the service great, but sure. also it made you feel good being totally. involved with them. Yep. I, I uh, think there's but they're an out extension of business. Yeah. Well, they yeah. got bought successfully. So, <laughs> but their their brand an exit is over. <laughs> yes, but their brand no longer exists. And so I think like you're saying the brand is what has value, and the brand no longer exists. Oh, I'm saying. Brand does have value, not it's valueless, yeah. sure. which is right. slightly different. Right. I, if anything, it, it makes me, well, first of all, my, my opinion on this has sort of shifted over time, mostly with Spectrum, just mm. because the longer Spectrum goes, the more I realize how deep of like core problems that we have to solve that go beyond design, like totally. talking about pricing strategy and customer acquisition yep. and things like that. Or things like Which design, insurance. Design can influence insurance, <laughs> fucking yeah. health care. GDPR. Yeah. GDPR. Like <laughs> yeah, we're, GDPR. We're literally figuring out how we're going to solve GDPR problems. And We've solved GDPR. Mm. We solved it. Uh, Congrats. So my, my stance on that's evolved over time, which makes me appreciate 
products who fit into the sort of startup category but mm. nail execution really really well yeah uh things comes to mind totally the, the Zite is very good Zite comes to mind mm -hmm. like evil rabbit is nicholas has done very well and I appreciate that that's something to aspire to, to have that degree of craft. Stripe is a good example. Stripe. Stripe. No, they're, they're too big. And I mean, but when they started, I, I get what you're saying, but like, even, yeah, yeah. When they're they started, they were design huge. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They were design focused. Okay, I'll give it to Stripe. Yeah, for sure. for sure. So we can call out these examples, and I think it's good to aspire to that. Um, I just don't want that aspirational quality to get in the way of like making sure that you survive long enough to, to even seek well, the next stage of that aspiration right? totally if it was so this is something i, I like my, i want to aspire to that for the next 10 years of my life not for the next six anyone who's listened to design details will have heard my opinion change significantly on this uh, in their fairly recent past honestly like part of the value of building spectrum as a side project actually generated this like care about details because i had the luxury of doing it first um i think that this is generally something I haven't cared about though before. And I think it's really interesting from the design systems perspective, mm. just because like this isn't hard to care about. Right. It's not hard to know about either. Right. It's easy to solve problems. And I think it's interesting that there is this education gap between people who care about these things and people who don't care about these things, even though like it's fairly obvious once you notice it the first time like you can't unsee it kind of thing totally yeah there's uh, uh, seems like there's an education gap but there's also like a i don't know not trying to make the things that we build cold and heartless but like it's gotta it's gotta survive i yeah. think of rdo is like yeah. probably the prototypical example totally. here of something that nailed execution right. nailed brand nailed the customer experience and Spotify's also done a good job. Nobody with that. gets to use it, but Spotify did the opposite thing. I wouldn't call Spotify's early design particularly beautiful. Mm. Dude, Rasmus did some cool he shit. Did with some it. cool shit, yeah. and it, look at where they are now. Like right. they're surviving. They've they're going public. They're mm. they're taking these steps that I feel like they figured out how to survive long enough. Well, see, and I don't obviously don't know anything about what happened with Artie. Sure. And, and I I think the the thing that you're both getting at, which I think is really really powerful, and like what you were saying. You know, if you understand or try to understand these principles, it's not necessarily incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's something that's really hard to strike a balance in is finding the the thing that's going to get you where you want to go and mm -hmm. where you need to go as a business or personally or whatever problem you're trying to solve with design. And then also understanding beyond that, like if you're, let's say, you know, the world was run by marketers uh, or people that don't think about design at all and they're just trying to solve the business goals and that's mm -hmm. it. I don't think that that world would be that beautiful and that great. And so I think the other half of that is not necessarily something that you can quantify a hundred percent. Like there are some bits about brand alignment, brand loyalty uh, and how visual design attributes to that, that are very, very quantifiable. But beyond that, I mean, I'm going to get like really, really deep Is here. You want like a minimum threshold kind of thing? Like, Maybe. Yes. Uh, Tim Van Dam tweeted the Space Jam website today. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think any copywriting could possibly overcome the design of it. Right. Because it's from 1993 or whatever. Sure. Hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, and that's but like beyond a certain level. It's fine. Right. Right. Uh, I think 
there's there's a reality of that you have to solve these problems, but I think also designers have this like feeling inside of us that we should design them beautifully because the world deserves to be beautiful. Mm. And that's something that I think kind of gives us purpose, not only as designers, but as human beings to say, this thing doesn't need to be ugly and disgusting and gross. It could be beautiful and fun. And like, if you, if you think about like the interactions you have every day with computers, technology, uh, cars or whatever thing you're interacting Mm -hmm. with, those little micro frustrations add up and take some stress uh, and add it to your life. Mm-hmm. So if, I mean, I think the the beauty about design to me is like, if I can remove some of that and I can make your life slightly better then that, you know, that is how design makes the world better. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote, I'm, I'm putting air quotes for mm-hmm. people who can't see. Um, I'm saying it with a sassy tone. Yes. Very sassy. I think that the balance to strike is, trying to understand completely what the problem is first and solving it with design in a beautiful way instead of saying, I'm going to make this beautiful thing because I want to, that's art. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the difference between design and art to me is starting with the aesthetic, starting with the visual aspect. That is something you create for art, for feeling. And there should be a dash of that, but there should, it should be focused on solving the problem. Yeah. I, I, realize now that you've kind of been doing a little therapy session for Brynn and I talking about <laughs> spectrum so much, but I, I would also clarify like, I thought it was just an interesting statement and I wanted to yeah, like, yeah, talk yeah. about that from a design systems perspective. Totally. The ideal is both, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can all agree that it should solve the problem and do it beautifully with the light and great, uh, tweening and stuff like Sweet that. Sweet colors. Sick colors. Yeah. Um, really tight colors. And, and I don't go about my day saying like, but color theory, like I'm just going to throw something on the page. Like I, I know that, you know, you and I have different aesthetics, mm-hmm. Bryn, but I hope that the stuff I put out there isn't ugly and it isn't super shitty, but I also don't spend a whole lot of time figuring out like, what's the spot illustration going to mm. be for this on, on a product page. I'm just mm-hmm. like, just fucking throw an icon there. Like we'll figure it out later. Sure. And yeah. that's probably, dri- I know it drives <laughs> Bryn crazy and it drives other designers crazy, but there's definitely a threshold. And, and that's how we end up balancing each other. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if anything, it's it's a good reason to find a, a team that one can appreciate. Totally. Both sides of that. Totally. And I think that's the biggest thing I've had to learn uh, doing design systems is trying to understand that there is a threshold and that it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. It's never going to be the complete vision of what you think it can be. And if you get lost in that, you'll drive yourself insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think like what... I've tried to focus on uh, in something like color or typography or things that have like a deep rooted tradition. Um, And we know a lot about, like people have done a lot of studies about, uh, there are very basic things that it's like, you know, don't use this color with this color and provide basic contrast that people can read and make sure that it's uh, go beyond that and make sure that it's accessible for people who have, uh, you know, visual impairment that they can read. I think those are very, very important things that are not, like you are saying, not hard to learn per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the hard part is when people get so fixated on those things that they lose sight of why they're doing them in the first place. So that's, that's I think, the danger in design systems sometime. And how we solve that at Etsy sometimes is to try to figure out, like, what can this one thing solve in multiple situations? Mm. So say an alert, for instance. What could this one alert do it could say 
success, you've saved this listing. Mm-hmm. Or it could say, you know, an error message. Or We're it could all going to die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think that that's Etsy's, uh, Etsy's uh, thing, yeah. But could be. Know, could be, yeah. Emergency alert systems. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll talk to our product managers and see if we cool. put it on a roadmap. <laughs> cool. Um, but I think it's beyond even those like basic use cases. It's like, you know, inside of a success notification, what are the potential types of success? Uh, you know, in those great different... success, <laughs> exactly. Decent success. <laughs> you did fine. Uh, success. That... We did the colors right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you, if you try, you know, to say like, yes, this perfect shade of green should always represent success. And if it is any other color, it's a total failure as a design. That's not the case, you mm-hmm. know? And so I think going into it with that mindset gives us the ability to remain flexible and to kind of help guide designers that are, um, you know, really, really trying to create an amazing experience for our customers to find something that works for them and saves them time. And that's the other thing about design systems is that really at the end of the day, we should be saving people time. That's what design systems are for is there's standardization for sure that you want to remain on brand and you want to be able to tell your story consistently and have a consistent user uh, experience, but it's also to save people time. And if you're too prescriptive with your design system, it actually takes more time for people to really understand it and to Mm -hmm. use it. And that's actually not even solving the problem. Like we were talking about before. Yeah. Hmm. It's like a diminishing return. Exactly. On the, prescriptiveness yes but also diminishing contrast and there's the problem mm-hmm. ah yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. diminishing contrast is a terrible thing how long have you been working on the design system stuff so i started on the seller side i've been on the seller side the whole time um and i started on design systems maybe like two years ago who's or a year the and manager half ago? on that side is that jason um, so the way we have it split up now is that design systems isn't technically a team. Oh, interesting. They're just design okay. lead, design systems mm-hmm. leads. And so the I report directly to the art director for the seller side, and I believe that um, Dennis does the same. And that allows us to really try to integrate with both brand and product, mm-hmm. which I think that's also a great place for design systems to be, is that overlap. Art that's versus a design. tricky overlap. It's a very tricky overlap. Art yes. versus design. Yeah. <laughs> you report to an art director. Yes. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Phrasing? I mean, it's it's a traditional um, a traditional word, I suppose. But uh, art director. Art director. Yes. But the the thing that I think um, helps with that is that. I'm able to work closely with the brand designers to take these, you know, amazing illustrations that they produce or that we hire illustrators to produce um, and the amazing type of creativity that they bring to the product visually and kind of blend that with the systems that we create to create something that feels really on brand, very motivating, has feeling behind it. And that's kind of the balance that I was talking about before. Like you look at a beautiful art piece and you feel something and I think that in a way, like if there is time and energy and availability and at Etsy, we're a larger company, we're able to do this. We should be able to create a user interface that makes someone feel something. And that's something that people don't talk about a lot of times. Uh, Like people do user journey maps and they're like, oh, how do I feel during this thing? But that's more of a user experience 
type of like, oh, well, if we did this thing and tweak this UI, we could solve this problem and people wouldn't feel frustrated. But beyond that, like the cool thing about being able to develop a really powerful brand is you look at, say, like, you know, classic example of Apple. They're a very clean aesthetic of the simple logo, the aluminum, mm -hmm. and the way that their um, UI is developed makes you feel something. Uh, it makes you feel something different than, say, like the Windows user interface or uh, a PC in general. The PC user interface makes me want to not own a PC. That's a feeling. That's a feeling. So, tangent. <laughs> I learned last night that alu aluminum or al aluminum, neither of those were the original name. Aluminum. It was alunum. Hmm. And then uh, he renamed it to aluminum. Hmm. And then British people complained that it didn't match sodium uh, and other similar. Do you say titles? rich people? <laughs> rich people complain? <laughs> British all, people. All the, oh, same thing. All <laughs> those are rich scientists <laughs> so, naming oh. the, the fucking elements. British people complained that it didn't match other elements that had an eum. Mm. So they changed it to aluminium. But aluminum came first, interestingly. Mm. I didn't expect that. So we're yeah, right. I didn't either. The one time. Mm -hmm. Americans <laughs> the, were right. The one pronunciation we got right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. See, I and I actually think that uh, you know that's a great kind of uh, identification of being very prescriptive uh, versus being flexible. The American English dialect is a very flexible design system, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's frustrating parts about it's that. Calvin Ball. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, Brian. Do you know what Calvin Ball is? Oh, You're giving me a look fuck. like you sure don't. It's either, oh my God, this is Calvin a Hobbes reference? Yeah. yeah. Calvin Ball is a game where yeah, Calvin yeah. makes the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we do. We make the rules. Yeah. We are all Calvin. The The thing that I always, I was talking about this the other day, uh, I was trying to name something in our design system and I realized that light could both mean weight and color. Mm -hmm. And that like just destroyed me. I was like, well, it could be light in this way or it could be light in this way. Like, what does that actually mean? Yeah. Uh, like lighter, for instance, mm -hmm. like, what is it a lighter of? Um, or like well, lighter could be fire. HSL versus HSB, right? It's lightness sure. versus brightness. Same thing though. Sure. Yes. Uh, but the, like the way the words, like a word can sound exactly the same and mean the same thing in, in English. Yeah. It's very frustrating sometimes. It is. That's my biggest complaint with English. If anyone knows the person who's responsible uh, for the English language, tell them to fix that, please. I think that's Mr. Oxford. Oh, yes. Mr. Oxford. We'll, we'll get in Dial touch. Dial him right away. It's <laughs> Merriam Webster. <laughs> yes. Webster. That's two, people. that's two people. It's no Webster and someone. It's Mary your friend, Kyle. <laughs> We've got I have a complaint. Serious complaint. There are people whose English job is to determine, like, what are words? Because they well, add yeah. words to dictionaries every yeah. year. Well, that's a job. Somebody does that well, and gets but paid. Now, now it's like mimetic. It's different. I mean, I guess mm. it probably always was. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about words that we use like every day. That uh, you know, where where did they come from? Like a word that I use all the time is bonkers. I love the word bonkers. Where did bonkers? Yonkers. What's bonkers? Oh, okay. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Because people <laughs> from Yonkers are bonkers. Wow. Yeah. So I've heard. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the old wisdom. Yeah. Linguistic old wisdom. details. New podcast. The new podcast. Yeah. 
I'd listen be to kind that. of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Words and stuff. Fascinating. <laughs> kind of that. <laughs> I mean, you could have a whole podcast. It's just reading Merriam-Webster's Twitter account, which yeah. is very good. It's pretty, yeah, it's That's pretty true. gold. Surprisingly yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. I, I'm realizing that we've, we've been talking for a long time. Um, and I, I want to make sure we, we cover things that are important to you and that sure. you're excited about. So yeah. we've mostly just been talking about Etsy and design systems and stuff, but design derails. Mm. Is is there something else that would be fun that's been on your mind that we could dig into? Otherwise, uh, oh man, I mean, I mean a lot we, of things. We haven't even learned about you yet. That's true. Uh, what would you like to know? You started as a very young turman yes. in so Oklahoma. I was a turd boy. So Kyle, a let, turducken. Let's back up. God damn it! Where are you from? <laughs> You said Oklahoma like a thousand times, dude. I know. Yes. Uh, so I'm actually from a, a tiny ass town called Hera, Oklahoma. Tiny ass town. Yeah. Uh, that's the particular nomenclature. You look it like up in Merriam Webster. H-E-R-A? Uh, it's like the casino, H-A-R-R-A-H. Mm-hmm. It's a palindrome, actually, yeah. uh, which that's how I found out about palindromes. Um, so, you know, that's cool. Young linguist over here. Yes, exactly. Uh which you know is the segue the the, the yeah. podcast that we've you'll have asked afterwards. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if you're born into a palindrome, it's just it's nature. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I grew up there, and it's like a town of like two thousand people. Very very small when I was there. Uh, we had I think twenty eight kilobit per second dial up. Fuck, uh, yeah. fast. Wow. It, it, well, it, it was not fast. <laughs> like every, everyone else had 56K. And yeah, I, would, yeah. I would remember like going into a Radio Shack one time and seeing a 56K modem. And like, I was like, the 1%, those bastards. Those sons of bitches. Half of our audience doesn't know what that means. You said Radio Shack and 56K. <laughs> oh, and yeah. Like, Radio Shack is this magical store where you could buy all sorts of random shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was owned by Shaquille O'Neal. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, rest in peace, Shaq. Um, I, yeah, I, I got on the internet. I remember the first time my, uh, my aunt actually owned a chiropractic studio and had upgraded her computer and gave the old computer to my family. And it was like an Acer Aspire. Uh, it had like, it was like dark gray, black. It was kind of beautiful actually. And it had like a CRT monitor, but it fit directly on top of the mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. computer tower. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It like had a beautiful flow to I it. I think all of them had that back in like there was there was, a, there was a definitely few of a them, vibe yeah. of like here's a horizontal computer yeah. and the monitor fits perfectly on top. Like we had a Hewlett Packard mm. something or other back in the day that was like oh yeah something or other specifically yeah. slotted. Yeah, yeah. I it's it, it's actually kind of funny like. I remember seeing that for the first time and it had these like smooth curves and everything. And I just like, I fell in love. Yeah. It was, it was like, I love computers. I really, uh, found them fascinating. And then I like a week after we got that computer, uh, I got in big trouble because I had taken it completely apart and had not putting it back together properly. Mm-hmm. And so we had to call a technician, uh, which was very expensive at the time, uh, to come fix the computer. And I got in a lot of trouble for that. But I really, uh, whenever uh, we finally got internet and the 28 kilobit per second speed, uh, we had AOL and I started talking to people online and was just fascinated by how I could be talking to someone 
all the way across the world. Uh, I could be talking to someone in Australia. Um, I could be talking to someone in California. I could be talking to someone down the road. Like the world opened up. This town of 2,000 people became a town of, you know, 2 billion people or however many people are in the world. All perverts. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Uh, <laughs> quite possibly. Uh, so that that kind of like community aspect uh, changed the way that I perceived the world at a, at a young age and really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Uh, and that's really the reason that I still am in uh, web design today and, and why I really believe in web design, even beyond app design and other things. Like the beauty of the web to me is how it creates this community. And I am here right now because of this community. Uh, like, you know, Bryn reached out to me on Twitter um, to say like, oh, you're in town, come over. So that's that's something that I think we forget sometimes. Like, and there's a lot of toxicity about how connected we are. And that kind of creates this weird uh, lifestyle that we've become accustomed to. But I think sometimes we forget how beautiful and wonderful it is that we're connected to this larger community. So, so Judson can know you're here while he's not, and we can <laughs> really course. rub it in his face. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, that may or may not have been intentional. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, I'm just kidding. I love you, love you Judson. Um, no one doesn't love Judson. Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, even the devil doesn't not love Judson. <laughs> the devil's like, pretty cool, dude. <laughs> that guy, though. <laughs> You're fine in that books. <laughs> um, so that that's really like what spurred me on to be like, I want to be a part of this. I want to create this. So, Did it I'm, make you want to escape Oklahoma? Or well, did it make you totally. comfortable being in Oklahoma because you had access to the world? It was kind of a balance for sure. Like, um, and... I, I grew up like very conservative and really didn't know a whole lot about um, the world. I remember <laughs> when I moved to New York for the first time, uh, I, I didn't know that there were more than one type of apple. This is really embarrassing. I uh, I thought that there were like yeah. you know red One apples. apple, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> green apples are young apples. Yeah, I mean, I maybe knew that I was there was like a couple or something. Sure. But I walked through uh, like the Borough Hall Farmers Market uh, in Brooklyn and saw there was like thirty different types of apples, and I was like, <gasps> just like totally blown away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> The hottest club is called Apples. <laughs> um, so many kinds of apples. It's got everything. Honeycrisp. <laughs> Fuji. Pink jazz. Horse apples. <laughs> oh, yeah. Horse apples are a thing. All kinds of apples. <laughs> I forgot about that. Horse apples. Uh, which is ironic because uh, horses love apples. Yeah. yeah. Any type of apple. But horse apples are kind of nasty. Aren't they are they? nasty. Oh, yeah. Nasty yeah. things. Uh, that could be a great new insult. You're a real horse apple. Yeah. Adopted. Done. Done. What? Why don't you just stop being a horse apple and (laughs) just get your shit together? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's my new thing. Yeah. TM. Trademark. Uh, If anyone uses that, please donate to my Venmo. Royalties. (laughs) Royalties to at Kyle Terman. Uh, That was a handcrafted joke. You can find it on Etsy. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And in about five minutes, it'll be a vintage joke and you can still find it on Etsy. (laughs) 20 times more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've printed it on a mason jar. Yes. And <laughs> you know what blows me away? Burlap. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, burlap. 
uh, I was on Etsy the other day and uh, I was doing some user testing and this, this happens to me a lot. I'll be doing user testing and, or, or I'll be doing like testing on some product and I'll see like an amazing listing. I'm like, Oh shit, I have to buy that. And I found this vintage pizza hut employee hat Shut and I up. had to get <laughs> it. dreams come true. I had to get it. It was $12, Yeah, but it was from 1997. Think about all the sweaty the good times that have been in that bad boy. That's but nineteen ninety seven is classified as vintage. That's the thing that oh. blew me away. <laughs> like shit. What? Yeah. It, Wait, is there a definition of vintage? Is there it, is, it, yeah. So it's what, twenty years? Twenty years, yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Brian, were you born then? <laughs> uh almost. Yeah. Nearly. Yeah, be twenty this year. You're a twinkle in your mother's eye. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> as they say. As they say. <laughs> Trademark Kyle Terman. Uh <laughs> when did you finally get out of Oklahoma and did you go straight to New York? I did not. No. Uh, so I had a really amazing opportunity to work for a fantastic uh, design agency in Charleston, South Carolina called Fuzzco. Uh, and they, they're like, they're very one of a kind for sure. They have this aesthetic and a creative. Like I've heard of Fuzzco. Definitely. They've, they've done a lot of really great work. Uh, they do a lot of really good brands and a lot of really good interactive uh, work as well. And I was really drawn to them. I thought that they, that I could learn a lot there. And the founders are amazing people, uh, Josh and Helen. And there's also like really amazing uh, creative directors and really amazing art directors there. Uh, so I was really drawn to it. Um, and I, I didn't even really think about Charleston being like a place that I wanted to, to like live or something. <laughs> uh, it was more of just like trying to find something beyond Oklahoma. Like I, I started hitting uh, kind of a threshold. I was like, I really don't know where I can go from here. I really want to learn more and mm-hmm. to develop my skills. Uh, and I was actually doing freelance at the time whenever, uh, whenever Josh and Helen uh, talked to me. And so I, I felt like it was a good choice, uh, and I, I believe I still believe it was a good choice because of the possibilities of w- what I could learn. And that's really every every decision I think I've made in my life or around my career is like, what can I learn out of this situation? And I think that that's been the best like barometer for decision making that I could ever have. Uh, is like, will I be able to learn something that I wouldn't have been able to learn before uh, to a really extended degree? You know. So, yeah, uh, I went to there, to old Charleston, mm-hmm. uh, the South. Uh, and it was, it was really, it was definitely an interesting experience because... You did not perfect the accent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is Fort Sumter in Charleston? I think so, yeah. I, my memory is blanking on me, so I'm afraid if I mm-hmm. say yes, I'm going to get like destroyed by all the Charleston people. But mm-hmm. I think yes. There, there are some forts there, mm-hmm. um, which it's interesting... Like I, Oklahoma is not really the South and it's not the North and it's not, it's nothing. It's in the middle has really, it's a weird place where like, you know, 200 or so years ago, the government was like, well, we don't want this place. We'll put all of the native Americans there. And it's, it's like, like because of that, the native American heritage has been like the thing that Oklahoma became known for. And I myself am part Native American. I'm one sixteenth Cherokee, as you can tell by my uh, full blonde beard. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the the interesting thing about that to me is that um, when I went to Charleston, like I thought that Oklahoma was kind of southern. Like we have southern traits, 
but we don't have the Southern heritage that they have there where when I did a tour, I think of, it was of Fort Sumter. They described the Confederate soldiers as the brave warriors fighting for states' rights. Uh, and I was and like- by states' rights, that was a dog whistle for some people aren't people. <laughs> correct. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, thank you for, yeah, identifying that. That's 100% correct. <laughs> uh, so that- that was a really interesting experience of like actually learning what the South was um, and how that was different from Oklahoma. So Oklahoma is just like this uh, mix of a, a lot of different people that are just really nice, um, like genuinely nice. And that was the weird thing that about, and not everyone is like this, obviously, like, but in the South, I feel like there's this idea of Southern hospitality where everyone's nice to you, but it's kind of this weird thing where everyone like pretends to be nice, kind of. Bless your heart. Yeah, exactly. Sarah said that once to Brian's mom and she got really offended. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, that doesn't mean what you think it means. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. say that to an older no. lady. <laughs> no. From Alabama. <laughs> From Alabama. That's, that's basically the equivalent of saying like, you're a complete and utter fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know. It's a nice way of saying that, I guess. <laughs> it's a very polite way <laughs> very of saying polite. it. It yes. sounds a little bit less bad than utter fuck up. Yes, yes, that is true. Yeah. Um, even if you say it in that tone of voice, like, well, you're just another fuck up. Like, even if you say it nice, like, that, it still doesn't work. Yeah, you know? it doesn't really so, roll. No, it yeah. doesn't have the right role as Bless yeah. Your Heart does. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It sounds nice, is the thing. It does sound <laughs> nice. Like, I do want my heart to be blessed. Mm. Without a doubt. Like, yeah. that, I would love that. Um but yeah, it's, it's, it's not well intended. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That was definitely an interesting experience. And like what I was talking about, like coming from Oklahoma, uh, a lot of different things don't like make it there. Like, I feel like a lot of things originate on the coasts and then slowly work themselves into the middle of America sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of things that I just like didn't know about because of that. Apples um, specifically. Apples specifically. Yeah. Yes. Um, we had a lot of corn in Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, really good corn. I'm sure there's lots of kinds of corn that I don't know about. Both of them are great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> White corn, yellow corn, purple corn. No, it's, uh, yeah. Corn and popcorn. Corn pops. Yeah, there's popcorn. popcorn. Uh, there's uh, corn, corn nuts. Corn nuts. Yeah. Fuck, those are great. Yeah, those are fantastic. Bad for your teeth. Uh, so how long did you stay at Fusco? Uh, so. Was so that I, like your teeth cutting job? Were you? Like, not not necessarily. I had all uh, teeth all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I was born with a uh, hundred teeth. It's really messed up. Now you're down to the safe twenty two. Yeah. yeah. Wait, is it thirty something? How That's many a good teeth question. do people have? I don't. I What's feel a like good it's, average? Is it in the forties? I think thirty. Forties. Thirty sounds right. Let's Google it. Hang on. Yeah. Hang on. Hang on. I'm gonna use my tongue. Yeah. Count them. Count them. Interesting. <laughs> How many teeth do people have? I have eighteen teeth. Is that right? No. <laughs> 32. 32. Yeah. The closest without going over. Price is right rules. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. oh, oh. It's, it's an 8-point no. tooth grid. Mm. Mm-hmm. The, the, that is very satisfying. Yeah. To know that each quarter of my mouth, each quadrant yeah. is, is aligned to the grid. God sanctioned yeah. the 8-pixel grid. Yeah. There you have it. <laughs> it's well, decided. No, but, it but is point, divine point, in no, but the truest meaning but of the word. Points so like teeth written. have points to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's um, point, not pixel. Oh, my Jesus, Kyle. Oh, my God. Well, not not all of them have points. Some of them are flat, man. I don't know. Does he have teeth? Does the Malars. Teeth? The Malars. Malars, yes. If your molars don't have points, you done goofed some point. Mine are perfectly flat. 
Yeah, all of them. I have no sharp teeth. You only chew cud. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I did. So where did you learn to chew (laughs) to chew chew your design cud, metaphorically speaking? Well, how about that segue? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen a segue that good since the San Francisco airport. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really sorry. Um, So I, my first job right out of college was for a uh, nonprofit actually called Give a Goat. And uh, if you didn't guess. Give a Goat. Is that a lawn cutting service? Give a Goat. Give a, what's a food that starts with G? Give a Goat a. Goat is a food that starts with G. Give a Goat a Goat. That's true. Thinking like give a mouse a muffin kind of. If you give a goat a uh, gooseberry, gooseberry. Gobstopper. oh shit, <laughs> gooseberry. Gobstopper rolls off yeah. the tongue a little better. Yeah, I mean, It'll probably imagine. choke. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so I I uh, did some freelance work for them when I was in college, and they offered me the job of art director <laughs> oh. <laughs> right, out, right of out of college. And I was like, you catapulted to the top, prodigy. Yes, yes I deserve this. Um, <laughs> And I was making uh, $14,000 a year. Uh, Highest paid art director in the world. You were already a one percenter right out of college. already a one percenter. The beauty of being paid $14,000 a year is that's one percent of a normal salary. (laughs) (laughs) That's a new definition of one percent. The beauty of it is that you don't have to pay taxes. So it was just like, you know, I was under the poverty line. Yeah. Uh, But... You know, it was it was an amazing time. I uh, got to do a lot of really good for the world that and learn. That says a lot about, about stuff. how you view the world. You oh, gave well, a lot of goats. The good thing about making this little money is <laughs> I don't yeah. have to pay taxes. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't have to pay them damn taxes. Are, are you still as optimistic today as you were then? No. Okay. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. That's very um, optimistic. Yeah, I so I spent some time uh, in the Philippines uh, working with them and like documenting things and bringing those uh, learnings and stories working back. Working with the goats, working directly with the goats. Yeah, cool. they uh, actually were great to work with. Um, <laughs> no, the uh, the way they give a goat. Friendly worked. guys, I miss Pete. <laughs> Pete the goat, uh, Greg. Greg, Greg, Greg would be a great. Shit. If you gig Greg the goat, a gobstopper. That is a mouthful. Like um, the gobstopper. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, so goats will eat anything. It's fine. It's true. It's true. You the gobstopper. And after that, uh, I was I was working there, and uh, a good friend of mine from college, Scott, uh, started this design studio called Foundry Collective. Now, was Scott a goat? <laughs> My good goat friend. My good goat friend Scott. In many ways, he was like a goat. He was um, the goat. <laughs> oh, there we go. He was the greatest of all time. Yeah. He is the greatest of all time. Shout out to you, Scott. Love you. Best um, Scott ever. The best Scott ever. Well, yeah. Ooh. yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I had to cross-reference all your yeah. other Scots. I have a lot. A um, lot of Scots. Great Scots. Great Scots. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so. <laughs> sorry. That was so good. Uh, that, that one got me. <laughs> Um, we got Brian. <laughs> that's rare. Brian. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm crying. Uh, he's crying because of the pain, not because of the joy. Yeah, because the yeah. pain in my um, lower back. The so I started working with uh, with with Foundry, and then um, had an opportunity to work with a startup in Oklahoma City, which is very rare. Did that um, have a Scott? No, no, it didn't. So you got off Scott free. I hate everything about oh my this. 
I, uh, I guess <laughs> There's a lot of sky I jokes. Say, to the people, no, that, yeah, to the people still listening. Coach. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, I, I did get off scot-free with that job. Uh, but that's, that was really my first like true product design. I did a lot mm -hmm. of web stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I did a lot of brand stuff. Um, that was really my first, like singing my teeth, chewing my cud yeah. of product and learned a lot because we took a, you know, product that didn't exist absolutely zero to a product that launched, um, with actually, uh, a, a really, um, a, a really great, uh, a really great engineer named Matt who actually works for Everlane now. And, uh, he oh, sorry. And he tried to, uh, tried to tell me how great Ruby and Ruby on rails was. And I eventually listened to him. Uh, but we, we built this app in like three months, uh, from zero to 60. And, and that was like a really, really fast learning experience. I had just, um, let's see. I, I think I had just, I was about to get married and I was working like, you know, hundred, 120 hour weeks on this, on this startup. Uh, so it was a very, very different process than mm -hmm. working for an agency where things were a little bit more chill. Uh, and that kind of turned into me doing like freelance. Uh, and so I started like, like freelance, uh, after that. And then that's when I started at Fesco uh, is after I did freelance. I so so did a few jobs you before had, that. had some experience built up. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. And I think like what I was looking for is trying to understand, like I was saying before, trying to understand what can I learn from mm -hmm. the situation mm -hmm. and what I think Fesco really does well is they are really, really creative in the way that they approach uh, solving problems. Uh, and I think that that's something that's surprisingly undervalued in our industry is that a lot of people take solutions that already exist and kind of apply them and stick them into their problem space instead of actually trying to find something creative and interesting. And uh, got to do some great work with MailChimp uh, on that. And the people at MailChimp are always insanely fun to work with uh, because they really value creativity and try to like empower people to, you know, just like, hey, do whatever you think. So we, I remember we built Were this- Were Justin and Linda there at that point? I think I think Justin might have been, yeah. Okay. Um, I can't remember. I didn't know Justin at that time, though. Um, I do know him now, and I love him. Mm -hmm. I love you, Justin. Um, but we we built this uh, this web game um, called high or called uh, Fast the, Fives. The High Five game. Yeah, the high, I definitely high five play game. that game. Yeah, awesome. Um, and that was just like a whirlwind of fun. There was an amazing designer, Colin, on that who designed like all the hands and all of the different objects. And it's like, kind of like Simon says, but with high fives, but if there's other objects like fish and a knife, and if you hit those, then you, you lose a life. Um, so being able to work on projects like that, where I was really empowered to be creative, uh, was something that I really, really loved and valued uh, about working at Fusco. And again, like working for Etsy, I feel like Etsy is one of the weirdest, <laughs> kookiest, funnest places that you can that you can work, uh, and so I think that applying that type of creativity was really really refreshing uh, to be able to do that in a product uh, beyond just an agency. So yeah. yeah, how many people at Etsy are remote? Uh, design wise, uh, I think that there's only two, um, myself and, and Matthew, but we have a ton of remote engineers, um, okay, kind of all over, uh, from United States and Europe. Uh, I think they're, they're, 
there might even be some beyond that. So it's remote friendly in a lot of ways, um, but the design team hasn't necessarily made that uh, like the main focus for them because mm-hmm. design is really hard to do remotely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's inherently collaborative, like we talked about before, and that's something that <laughs> is hard to do remotely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. What, when did Etsy originally cross your path or, or become something you were interested mm. in while you were at Fuzco? So I remember very clearly I was walking home from work one day and I checked my email. It was a beautiful day. Things were going great. And I see this email from one Cap Watkins ah. in my inbox. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this guy again. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, get a real name. Christopher, is this a marketer? Like, yeah. who is this guy? Is this is this some mascot? Mm-hmm. Um, no, he was a real person, uh, and he he had a really short and sweet uh, email. It was like, oh, I'd love to talk to you about what we're doing at Etsy, and I'm like, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about what you're doing at Etsy. And uh, he really, the way that he talked about solving problems and the way that he talked about building a design team just sounded incredible and sounded like an opportunity I couldn't pass up. So when they flew me out to New York for the interview, that was actually the first time I had ever been to New York. Uh, my wife came out with me and we stayed in uh, downtown Brooklyn, which is not necessarily like the most glamorous pr- part of New York. Which part of Brooklyn is downtown? Uh, it's like right south of Dumbo. Uh, okay. And then like... I've been to several parts of Brooklyn. I've never yeah. <laughs> known which part was downtown. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 kind of a, an interesting place. There's um there's like the Fulton Mall uh on there and it's it's like a lot of uh commercial buildings, um and like some uh what sort like there'd be like not Nordstrom, but like Nordstrom Rack, you know, like those type <laughs> of places. Ah uh, yes. Yeah. Um so the like off Broadway fa- factory stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so like I was like I had no idea what to think of New York. Mm-hmm. And so we walk out of our hotel room after being dropped off from the airport. And I was like, oh, so this is New York? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, to factory stores? They, they don't even have a real Nordstrom? <laughs> yeah. What the? F- we even have a Nordstrom in Oklahoma. <laughs> Where I come from. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, that was a really interesting experience. And I just uh, fell in love with with Randy and the team that the, he had built and uh, – yeah, I'm really thankful for that opportunity. It's actually really funny. Um, Florissa Decker, Decker yeah. Yeah, he was on that team as well. And uh, he he recently left Etsy, which mm-hmm. is definitely a bummer. Uh, I always loved working with Floris. And he told me when we got coffee before, uh, before he left, he was like, you know what? I'm really, really glad we hired you. I was definitely wrong. Uh, oh! <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay, I see how it is." That's a uh, Dutch <laughs> yeah. attitude. Did you Perhaps, did you ever find yeah. out what what he meant? Like, yeah, what? he. I think he said no when I. Do you know uh, why though? I would imagine because I didn't have uh, as much experience as they they thought I should have, uh, perhaps. And I think that that's like a really awesome thing that they gave me that opportunity. Um, I had I had worked with product through agencies and I worked with that startup, but I really didn't have a ton of like, you know, dedicated product knowledge. And that's something that's really hard to do because, you know, a lot of these companies were like, oh yeah, we want five years experience working on a product. And you're like, well, 
where do I start? Like yeah. I have to start somewhere. 10 years of React and 20 years of <laughs> iOS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm really thankful that they gave me that opportunity. And I've, like every year that I've been there, I've learned something new and had new opportunities. I was a manager for a little over a year, which was a whole different experience. Um, and I was really thankful to have that opportunity as well. So the more I feel like uh, I look back on like, this is, I'm being very sentimental now, looking back at this whole trajectory that I've, that I've thought about, like it's, it's really amazing how many people have given me opportunities and given me the opportunity to maybe fail and to learn from that. And I think that that's the, really the biggest thing that I've, which I, is a really privileged thing, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm a white man uh, and I have that privilege, uh, but like and not everyone does have that privilege right away. And I think we're hopefully getting better about addressing that problem. But the, the thing that I think is so amazing looking back personally is that I would not be where I'm at today without all of these amazing people who invested into me. And I started hitting this point at Etsy where I was like, man, I've, I don't really learn as much as I used to. Like, I, and I don't know if y'all have had similar experiences where you're like, yeah, like last year I learned something new like every day and now maybe I don't. Yo, we started a company. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe not. That, yeah. You're learning a lot for sure. Um, but I, and I, I started getting frustrated by that, but then I kind of realized like, you know, that's a really good indicator that I should be giving back and I should be teaching people and I should be coaching and uh, mentoring more. And so that's something I've been trying to do mm -hmm. uh, and trying to give back more. And actually the, the craziest <laughs> yeah, thing about YouTube that. YouTube tutorials. Via <laughs> road, road programming. Road programming, yeah. yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, mo the best mentorship you could possibly imagine. This, yes, the uh, code can beat it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the crazy thing about like trying to invest more in mentoring and trying to invest more in people's growth beyond my own is that's actually made me grow more. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something I didn't really expect. Uh, so it's like this weird kind of evolution that happens where I feel like a lot of people get invested into you and they don't even realize that they're being invested into you. And then they don't invest that back. Uh, I've seen that happen in designers a lot where they become very selfish in the way that they think about design themselves, their career. But no one is an island. Like no one comes here by themselves. Uh, I'm sure both of you had mentors or people that gave you opportunities or taught you things that, you know, maybe you wouldn't be here because of those people. So it's pretty crazy Definitely. when you think about it. Definitely. Yeah. So shout out to all those people in my life florist for his bad decision making <laughs> yes and cap for his excellent beard and persu persuasion skills apparently yes I, yeah he's very persuasive yeah yeah very persuasive. Um, perhaps on that note a little bit i'm curious now that you've been at etsy for four years and you're thinking about giving back and all this kind of mm. stuff what are the things that keep you up at night these days i think that the place that we're at with designers having more of a seat at the table and being more involved in product decisions and having the ability to kind of think more holistically than we did before enables us to do a lot of really good things. And it also enables us to kind of do a lot of bad things too. Um, there are a lot of decisions that have been made 
uh, and certain products that aren't really thought through. Uh, and we see things like, you know, the Facebook st- scandal that happened recently. Um, like a lot of people just don't think about the potential evil that can happen in the world and how your product can be misused. And I think that there's an inherent uh, optimism about design of like, yes, design can save the world and we can do all these amazing things. But when you start bringing that into something that's at a really large scale, it has impact. Um, you know, there's a story that I, it's like burned in my mind from a few years ago about, um, I think there was this woman in, in Texas who joined a Facebook group for LGBT uh, community and then by joining that group, it posted to her profile mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and outed her to her family, which she wasn't ready to do, to do yet. And the thing is, is like the designer who designed that, you know, posting that to the feed did not think about this at all. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, like I was saying before, a lot of designers are white males uh, who haven't had these experiences to really understand what other people might go through, what other people might feel. White cis-het males uh, yes, exactly. can make a lot of mistakes that they just don't have to consider. Exactly. There's a lot of privilege just in that. Right. And what's crazy is because I came from Oklahoma in this town of 2,000 people and I learned that there's more than two apples in the world, it kind of shifted the way that I think about everything where I'm like, maybe I'm wrong about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, they, I think there's, there's a balance there. Like you can second guess everything in your life, but I think what that should turn into is like understanding and coming from a place of empathy instead of coming from a place of like, you know, selfish knowledge to say like, Oh, I know what the best solution is. I'll just do this. And so I think that that's a danger. And that definitely keeps me up at night is thinking about designers that are now in these product roles and being at the table and potentially not thinking or helping people think about these potential problems that could exist in products. Um, and that, you know, as you can see, that happens daily. That happens mm-hmm. uh, like in the news, like seeing Mark Zuckerberg in front of the, the like Congress, like that, that's the weirdest thing. Mm-hmm. That was one of the weirdest moments of my life, you know, seeing that. Um, he clearly wasn't programmed for it. <laughs> I mean, who is really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems like it's more about having a balanced table rather than having a seat at a given table. I think that's definitely, definitely a big part of it. Um, and I think the other part of it is understanding that you're not right about everything and that you can be wrong. And not only can you be wrong, but you should figure out how you can be wrong proactively. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that's been really fascinating to me is learning if I actually ask people like, Hey, what are you going through? What, how can this be better for you? Uh, whether that's interpersonally, whether that's, um, in a product decision, but like talking to more than just other white men, other, other white cis men who are going to say the same thing that I'm going to say. Like, so I think part of it is just having an open mind, but also being proactive. And that's the other thing too, is like, the, I remember the that meme of like that guy who's like, uh, was it, is it white privilege? Doesn't exist. Change my mind or something like that. Oh or, God. Yeah. Or men's right. Men's, uh, I forget what it, MRA, what it was. Men's right. A- activists or whatever. Maybe, I forget what it was, but it was like, change my mind. Yeah. Ugh. And what I hate about that, that red pill shit is it puts the, yeah, that too, but it puts the onus 
of learning on somebody else saying yeah. like, oh, I might be wrong. Come teach me. Yeah. And like, that's not how it should be. Like we should be figuring out like what the problems are and how people are being oppressed or mistreated or misused. And we should be actively trying to make that world better for people who are being mistreated. And I think that that's the, the biggest thing that designers can do is like, we have this mind that solves problems. If we can change that to think about how these problems can be solved for everyone, um, beyond just the people we know or the lives that we experience, I think that uh, that could be really great. But if we don't do that, things will continue. And that that's definitely what keeps me up at night. I agree. Yeah. Are you using any tools or groups or anything to do mentorship or is it just kind of a... It's kind of ad hoc. Okay. Um, I do, I do, I try to do as much as I can at Etsy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's such amazing people who work at Etsy. True. Um, and like, what's crazy about it is like when people leave Etsy, they go to do even more amazing things. Like they're, everyone is just so stupid talented and I am very thankful to get to work with them. So, um, but I think there's a really good culture of learning and challenging people to learn at Etsy. And so it's really easy to step into that role. Um, so I, I haven't had a lot of uh, need for like some sort of service or something like that. Uh, but I will say like, I, that's something that I want to understand how I can do better. Uh, not only like, I think the inverse of what I was talking about earlier about how big the world is and how amazing it is that we're all connected. I think that that's also led to us ignoring our local communities. Uh, there was a program that I was doing in New York uh, called Script Ed. And I highly, highly recommend if you live in New York, please get involved in this program. It's fantastic. Um, And you basically go to these schools and mentor uh, high school age children to learn how to code. And the cool part about it is like a lot of these uh, people that you're talking to, like didn't know that this was like a career path or this is something that could exist. And so like sometimes, you know, you teach people and they wouldn't exactly understand uh, right away. And especially like when you're a more like when I've been doing this for so long and I see someone like not using like colons and or semicolons in JavaScript or like APIs doing a four. Are not <laughs> obvious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like all these mistakes, I would be like, oh. uh, but the, the thing, the thing that I realized through that is like by showing these people like personally, I am there showing them like, this is something that you could do mm-hmm. and have mm-hmm. fun with and create something from scratch, like do something that hasn't been done before, um, which is super exciting. And not everyone got excited about that, but a few people did. And like uh, one kid I was m- mentoring there went on to um, uh, go to uh, college right after and started <coughs> studied computer science. Uh, and that was like one of the best, <laughs> one of the best days when I heard that, like, uh, so I really want to figure out how I can invest in Denver where I live. Um, and I would really encourage people to try to find that for their communities as well. So I think that's the thing I'm trying to figure out now how to do that. Uh, but I think there's, there's definitely a lot of people trying to do that stuff and a lot of people who are, uh, invested into Denver. So I need to figure out how to do that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I wish I had any advice on where to start, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything about what's going on there. So good luck. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Cool. Uh, Thanks for taking the time. Thank on. you for coming out while you've been in town. Yeah. Thank you for Appreciate having it. me. You are wonderful. Your dogs are adorable. That's and <laughs> generous on both. 
Also, yes. my dog's getting very antsy right now and is just giving me the eyes like, I'm yeah. going to pee on you if you don't. Well, yeah. I've seen those eyes. <laughs> from, a, from a dog, not from a person. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks right. for coming. Thank you. That was episode 247 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. I'm Brian Lovin. I don't know why I, I said that. That's how we do the intro. At the outro. Thank you so much to Kyle for coming and hanging out with us. Thank you to you for listening. Let us know what you thought on Spectrum at spectrum.chat slash specfm. And of course, before you go, huge thank you to our sponsors. Go check them out. Our first one is Abstract. I've been thinking about this the whole episode. So literally the, the, the whole Abstract episode. tagline is Ab Blaster 3000. That's basically what I was thinking, <laughs> but with track somewhere in there. Brian, you're letting me down. I rock solid. I thought ab- I could count on you. I really thought I could count on you. <laughs> it's just a little slower. Rock solid abs or not, Abstract is a secure version controlled hub for your design files. Upgrade the way that you and your team work and build products together at goabstract.com. You can get a free month using the product, trying it out with your team. Save yourself a lot of headache. Just abstract your lifestyle at goabstract.com. Thank you so much. Abstract abstract your design process. And when you're not collaborating on a computer, collaborate on paper with Swipeys. Swipeys are reusable wet erase paper. Do we have data that says that your computer is not wet erase? We could just draw on your screen, probably, right? That might be possible. Hang on, let me grab my Sharpie. Spike. Go get your reusable dot grid, shareable, collaborative, reusable paper at SWIP. It's not shareable. It's chained to your wrist. You cannot remove them. I'm sorry. That's just how it works. Thank you, Kaylee, for the money and also for giving us swipeys. (laughs) Because we love them and use them every day. Go to SWIP. It's unfortunate they're automatically chained to you. It's just how it works. I'm sorry. I don't make the rules of wet erase paper go to swipi.es to get yours today join the club upgrade your writing game and you can save 10 percent when you use the promo code specfm thanks swipeys see you next week let's have sarah hey sarah let us know if we need to come redo these thank you I think we're both had a little bit of wine. <laughs> Thank you for saying that in the <laughs> microphone, you idiot. Well, obviously Sarah's going to cut this.